In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. There's nothing that makes me more excited than being on my own podcast. It's a very special occasion. I'm back and I'm here with Ian Wright and Jack Duffin. Jack, what are we talking about today? So it, this is the final week of the offence. So we're starting with offensive tackles. Later in the week, we're doing the interior, but offensive tackles today, which, hey, it, it's nice. Two years ago, this was the show of like, who knows what was going to happen. Um, we had nothing on the roster. We're in a lot happier spot now. Well, we had Wills and we had Conklin last year. Two years ago, we didn't have anyone. Yeah, two years. No. Two years ago, there not. was nothing. Oh, uh, we had uh, Greg. We had Greg Harris or Greg Robinson. I believe no, at the time he was getting arrested by then. I think he was getting arrested over by the southern border for smuggling hundreds of pounds of weed. And our right tackle was uh, Jimmy Buffett's like, I don't remember. Kendall Lamb. Oh, Kendall, Kendall Lamb. That was the guy. God, those were the Damien days. Harrison, do you remember him? Yep. He was an undrafted free agent, if I'm not mistaken, out of Georgia State or... <laughs> Jackson loved him. Well, he was very athletic. To be fair, there were several people that thought he could become something. His issue to stay in the league wasn't his talent. It was the fact that he went and beat somebody like with a felonious assault or something happened where the oh. wheels just completely fell off the bus. And the fact that he basically not practiced to start and then like a couple of days before the season, he went, he, that's our guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. So now we're talking about a completely different room in the sense that we have multiple offensive tackles. Several of them are coming off of injury. So, Jack, why don't you give us a recap of that offensive tackle room with the Browns and where we're going? Yeah, so let's start off on the left side. We've got Chedrick Wills. It, it, it's been just average. It was um, sort of just below average sort of season in year one. Um, year two, he, he's basically sort of middle of the pack for the league, and, and that's perfectly fine. We're not sat here worrying about Chedrick Wills. Um, he's on course. Hey, he'll play. Um, no one's sitting there going, do we need to replace Chetrick Wills? Year three, though, is absolutely massive for him because after this season, they're going to have to decide whether they give him the fifth-year option. Do they want to extend him? Because this was the first time when they can get down to the table and go, hey, here's the deal. So it's a massive season setting up next year. And obviously, if they then go, hey, we're not going to give you the option, they can still extend him down the line. But they then have to start thinking succession planning and other things. So a massive, massive season for Jedrick Wills. It's just been okay. Um, But at this point, if you're asking me, what I've seen through two seasons, am I giving him big extension? No, I'm not. Um, he's just having an okay career. I mean, Jed's Jed's an interesting one because obviously you're talking about a number 10 overall pick. He was taken before Tristan Wirfs, after Andrew Thomas. So those are the guys he's always going to be compared to. And ironically enough, the step up from 
bad to, to good was Andrew Thomas this year. Andrew Thomas had a really, really stinky year one with the, uh, with the Giants. And now this year, he's growing into himself. You know, this is a guy who's, I think, Andrew Thomas is, I think, 23 years old, whereas I think Jedrick Wills, I think, is 22. Um, he's a little bit younger than Andrew Thomas. So you're kind of hoping that Wills can evolve into something a little bit better. I know, I think his best graded game of the season uh, was against the Bengals there in weekend 18, going up against some of their backups. And ironically enough, I think his second best game of the year was his first game against Kansas city. So Wills has shown potential to be that guy. Now the problem Wills has, and this is the thing that's working against him is another member of the offensive line who we'll talk about on in a couple of days here, went out to his position played left tackle and did it very well. So Wills is a guy, like you said, Jack, coming into his third year in Bill of Callahan's, he's only had one offensive line coach, so we can't use that excuse, but this is a guy that needs to just most importantly, stay healthy. You know, he misses a game or two here and he comes back and then his ankle's not right. And he needs to come back. Then it's possibly a hamstring. Like this is a guy who just has to stay on the field and listen, I get it. Not everybody's going to be Trent Williams and playing through grade two tears and stuff. But at the end of the day, we need to get better performance out of our left tackle. It needs to be less of a liability and more of an area of a strength like it was in 2019, 2020. Yeah. Where are you at Paul on uh, the judge rules experiment experiment uh, experiments, harsh word. Experience. Yeah, I'd be actually interested to know how's he doing versus all the rest of them. I know you mentioned all the people, Ian, but like, how is he actually doing? Did we pick well in that draft versus the other people? So, just last year alone, if we're going off of and you know, just using the same metric standard, right? So, I know PFF, some people love it, some people hate it, but just based on that rookie class in this past year, Tristan Worse was the highest graded of the bunch at 84.3. The rookie tackle, Rashawn Slater, uh, who was, I believe, the number 13 or 14 pick this past year. So he's younger than Wills, came in at number eight at 83.6. Then you got to go down a little bit. Andrew Thomas was number 17 at 78.9. Penny Sewell was the other rookie that, you know, debated whether or not the Bengals should take Jamar Chase or Sewell or Slater. Penny Sewell finished out at number 20 at a 77 grade. Then you got to drop down a few spots to get to Jedrick Wills, who finished at 38th ranked among the offensive tackles with a 66.1 grade, more skewed better to his pass blocking skills as opposed to his run blocking skills uh, this past year. But he gave up uh, five sacks. There was four There was four players, wasn't there, that year that we were looking at? Yeah. It was Worfs, Thomas, Wills. And Green? No. There's another one. Um, it was, um, yeah, the guy that went to the Jets. The absolute. Oh, Mackay Becton. He was, yeah. but he was injured this year. So Mackay Becton didn't. He didn't. He was injured. I don't. Out of them he, four tackles, where's he rate in them four tackles? In terms of last year, he'd have been third because Andrew Thomas was below him, but he would have been behind Worfs and uh, Becton. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Becton played. And did Becton and Worth go ahead of him? No, just Thomas. Just Thomas was first, then Wills. Becton went right after, right, right after him, I believe, at eleven, and then Worth's went, I think, at thirteen. So but yeah, so Mackay Becton only played yeah. one, one. He only played one snap, or I'm sorry, one game this year. 
He was injured in the opening game against Carolina, played 48 snaps and graded out in those snaps better than Wills, but it's a significantly smaller sample size. But last year he graded out at 74.4, which would have been higher. So right now you could arguably say that over the two year average, Wills is probably third or fourth. Okay. And it, it was one where the analytics did like worse as we spoke about on the show. And Thomas was sort of the, the safer prospect in terms of a left tackle, which was certainly something the Browns would have factored in. And, that, and they were being asked to project from left to right. Um, yeah. Listeners of the show would know that Worfs was my guy. Um, but you felt good with all of them. It was just Beckton that was the bigger unknown because of the absolute insane physical um, traits. But now the two, in saying that, the other three, none of them play in a zone blocking scheme. So Andrew Thomas, uh, Mackay Beckton, and Tristan Worfs all do not play in zone blocking. They play in, you know, gap or man, depending on what you want to talk about, just different blocking schemes. So Wills is the only one of that group that's playing in the zone scheme. So it makes you wonder if in the Browns grading room, Wills was the highest projected zone blocking scheme tackle of that group. Now, in all fairness, to be a good zone blocker, you need a good ankle, and he's not had a good ankle. So to Jack's point, his year that he really needs to rise up and shine, we need to see the, that Andrew Thomas-like jump where he gets into the top 20 of tackles needs to happen this year in the third year because one of the things that we struggle with is when your left tackle is giving up pressures left and right, your quarterback doesn't have the belief in that blind side and Baker at times showed he can be erratic whenever the uh, when he feels pressure that may not necessarily be there or it is there. So that, that's Wills. We'll jump over to the right-hand side um, and we've got Jack Conklin. So Jack Conklin is going to his third and most likely his final year because he's not going to see an extension um, just based on where he's at. But First year in 2020 was amazing, just shy of sort of elite for a right tackle. And then last year was great. It wasn't good. It was better than good. It it was just below um, elite. So uh, a really, really good year. Obviously, the problem last year was he just wasn't there as much. Um, It was his lowest amount of snaps for any NFL season. You're talking about 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just checking. So we've had, this will be his, he just finished his second year with Cleveland. Yeah. So first year was amazing. Second year was great, but not amazing. Um, but it was his lowest amount of snaps um, in the league. So that is a genuine concern. And, and that's going to be the question with Conklin that none of us on the outside know is a, how well this surgery has gone. Is he on course to start week one? And the other question is, do they have confidence in him playing the NFL season? Because if not, it's a $12 million decision they've got. What do they do with him? Yeah, I I think Conklin's strictly down to the medicals. You know, Paul, it's one of those things where Conklin's good enough, talented enough. The question is, is is he going to perform at a likely level? You know, to Jack's point, we're not going to know Obviously, the reports are that the surgery was a success, which all that's telling you is the surgeon's job is done. At that point there, it's up to the knee to heal. You know, he had the ruptured patellar tendon uh, week 12 against Baltimore after missing a few games coming back. So, you know, he was pretty steady Eddie 
you know, highest rated uh, tackle in week three uh, against the bill or the bears, you know, he had a insanely good grade, uh, graded game that game, but on the season only let up two sacks and uh, only six hurries. So he was on pace to have another above average season, but the injury unfortunately derailed that. So the question is, is when are we going to see him on the field again? Because to Jack's point, if we're not going to see him on the field, what happens to that $12.8 million in terms of what the Browns are going to use it for? And it's, it's really, really tough because the moment they went and paid the two guards, they more or less said to Tretter and um, Conklin of, hey, you guys aren't getting new deals here, which, hey, is, is a fair assessment of if you look along that O-line, who's played the best, you are going for the two guards. But that then leaves them in a position where they need to transition. Um, and if you are only keeping Conklin for one more year and you feel he's going to miss the first six weeks, well, are you going to pay him? So I... I genuinely think it's one where they need to have a long hard look um it could be some other teams willing to take a punt on him because i've always been in the mindset that you just cut him but it it, it could easily be one where that they can find potentially a trade partner because why not um someone could be willing to take that on um if he is going to play and they can just go hey it's a one-year bridge it's almost a one-year deal let's just roll with it um, I think cuts the most likely outcome if they have questions over the health, because if you think he's potentially going to miss half the season again, well, you need a, an offensive tackle three who can step in and play. What do you reckon he'll cost um, if we wanted to resign him? I, I think you're looking around probably that 12 to 16 range, but it if you... The way teams tend to be structured is you pay, if you're going to have a veteran QB, you're going to have two big deals on the O-line and they've obviously got that in both the guards. If we are going rookie and they feel really good about that, in 12 months' time, they could easily say, hey, we're drafting someone. Actually, we will extend Conklin. And then you go, hey, half of that rookie saving goes to pay for another tackle and the other half goes somewhere potentially on the D. Um, also wide receiver room, for instance. Um, so th- it's not impossible. But if if you were going to extend Baker, there's no way Conklin gets paid. Now, Jack, we talked a little bit about it before in terms of the sequencing of the contracts. So right now, contractually with Conklin and Wills, if the Browns go status quo versus making the changes, what do the contracts look like in terms of money and paying one of the tackles with the way Conklin's contract with what he has remaining and what Wills's contract is right now? Yeah. So one would finish and the next one starts. Um, there, there is a slight overlap of a year, but Con- a player like Conklin isn't going to take a one year deal from the Browns. He's going to go get um, a three year package from somebody. Um, if we weren't willing to fund it, um, obviously it could be the case that, Hey, they feel his body can hold up for another three years, but I, d- I don't think you can do that with his medicals. Um, so that could be an option there. Um, but yeah, the, we'll chat about the guard deals on Thursday, but you're pretty much looking at two years and then their option years. So they could easily move on from one of them down the line. Um, but you're kind of stuck. I, I, I just think they're in such a hard position because you either need to really prep an OT3. And 
I suppose that takes us on to is Hudson the guy? We've said it. It's echoed here many times. James Hudson was taking snaps. We were in some trouble. And listen, not to not to bag on the guy. I mean, the guy stepped in and gave all he could. And at times you would see a guy and you're like, all right, this is why they drafted him. You know, whether he's pulling in space or, you know, in that Cincinnati game, I thought he played really well. You know, every game before that, he struggled really bad. So they'll have another offseason of him getting stronger. Again, this is a guy that's, I think, 22 years old. So it's about converting his functional strength into something that you can use to possibly, if not, I don't know if Jack, you'll, you'll see this writing on the wall much like I would, but if the Browns do make an active pursuit to bring back Chris Hubbard, does that mean then that James Hudson is probably another year away? Yeah. So um, Hubbard could be that perfect sort of name that they go after um, because he can play tackle um, the Browns are going to have a lot better insight into his medical than anyone else. Um, and he gives them that sort of security because Hudson was coming in this season to be OT4. Um, Hubbard was going to be three and he was going to be four. And they had him in that spot. So there was no sort of pressure on him to play, to start. He was there to develop for a whole year. And then they can sort of assess and go, is he going to be the guy? Um and they were just forced to sort of rush him up the chart. And who knows, they might feel he needs another year down there. They might feel, hey, if they ha- were really happy with the two and there was no health concerns over Conklin, they might go, actually, we're happy with him going up to three. If we're in a pinch somewhere in the season, he can step up. But where you have Conklin there, you almost need to prepare that, well, he might not be healthy week one. He has got a great chance of being injured somewhere in the season. So we need this guy ready to step up. And it's not just that could be down week one. And then you're not being able to go back to free agency because the dudes are gone. You'd have to give up real assets to get them off a team. Um, And just some sort of other names that are out there. Uh, Hey, I I spoke about him. I think it was a couple of off seasons ago. Cornelius Lucas um, was a guy that I really liked the idea of getting. Went to Washington, done a good job. You've got some other names, Justin Peters, Bobby Massey, Brandon Shell. Um, they're just going to be cheap guys. Um, don't look at the free agency tackle class and look at some of the bigger names. Look down there at the really cheap guys um, because that's where I think if you're shopping in free agency, where are you going to go? What are the likelihood that if maybe they're not, if they think Hudson's going to transition into that OT3 role, out, out, you know, Hubbard maybe goes into the free agent pool and listen, guys, none of the people out there on that list are going to be people that you're like, oh, I, we must get this guy. Or we must get that guy. So again, to Jack's point, don't really look at those guys. You're looking for rotational guys, guys that need a place to play. Um, what is a likely scenario that if the Browns did want to address the tackle position and use some form of an asset, they're obviously not going to use a day one asset. So realistically, where could you see them allocating and allocating an asset on draft day to potentially another developmental tackle? Oh, if free agency is going to be a big indicator, because if they bring somebody back, hub, um, Hudson fills that four spot on there. I would be shocked if there's a draft pick there. If there's a draft pick there, you have to fear for James Hudson's future on the team. 
um, because that that is what happens. If you bring back a, if you get someone in free agency, a Lucas, a Hubbard, who you say is going to be the four, is going to be three, and you draft someone, well, that is a battle then for OT4 spot. So I think it's very, very unlikely we see a draft pick this year, unless we go through free agency, um, et cetera, without signing someone. Obviously, if they pick someone up and pay them, 1.5 million in the deal but there's only 100 grand guaranteed then that's an easy cut and they move on but i feel like we're not going to see a uh, a draft asset there um I, I i want to throw out the wild card as well i know it's something i've discussed on twitter well, before we do that also let's cite the browns do have two tackles on their practice squad or reserves futures contract alex taylor who is probably in cleveland he has probably more frequent flyers going in and out of Cleveland than anyone. And then Elijah Nakansa, um, who's a first-year tackle out of Toledo. So they do have two young guys that are more practice squad futures guys that they are developing. But, yes, there is this little Blake thing hands. out. Blake Hands, we're going we're to talk about him in the next show. He's more of a guard. I mean, he's played out there, but I think we've just learned he's a guard. So we'll talk about Hands a little bit more in the guard thing. But speaking of guards, there was a guard that did play tackle this year that did pretty well. That's garnering a lot of attention. So Paul, what are your initial thoughts about Joel Batonio out there on the left-hand side? Um, look, if you, if it works for the Browns, it works for Joel, then yeah, no issues, but I think we need to, I think we need two killer tackles and a swing tackle. I think that's where we've really lacked this year with all the injuries. So I, I just want to look at the numbers because there was always the fear when people were floating this Joel Batonio left tackle thing. They said, hey, he's an all-pro guard, and he is an all-pro guard. Is he just going to be an above-average left tackle? And we got a sample size of two games, which, yes, it's not a season, but it's, it's a decent sample size. And it wasn't like one of those weeks is week 18 and he's playing against uh, a second-string team. So one of them is the Raiders, who actually had really good pass rush numbers this year. Um, he graded out, if we take that two-game sample and then compare it to all the other left tackles in the league, he finished second behind a insane season from Trent Williams. Trent Williams had a season that good that Joe, Joe Thomas's single seasons do not compare to that. It was insane how good he has been this year. And then if we start looking at that two-game sample and comparing it to sort of Joe Thomas numbers, that's in the mix for Joe Thomas' level of play based on Joe Thomas's single-season PFF scores. We had us in the same numbers. And that's why I think, regardless of if he's willing to do it, Andrew Berry, who is a man that we know, we've discussed it, leaves no stone unturned, needs to have that conversation with Betonio's agent, with Betonio himself, and just go, hey, just want to float this idea give you two two to three million a year in incentives based on if you play let's say a third of the snaps left tackle then you get the first million blah 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 um because then if you're moving back inside because it doesn't work out you're, you're not committed to that money and that covers the difference between left tackle and left guard money um, which is important. You don't want to just sign a player to a contract and ask him to play somewhere else. But that has to be a conversation for me because even if it is you stick with Conklin this year 
Conklin goes down in week one and your backup isn't good enough, get Batonio out there. Batonio goes, hey, they're going to pay me an extra three million and I play out there the whole season. Yeah, fine. Um, he then steps out there. You're, you're in a much better spot. And I know that's tough on wheels to flip, but if I have two players coming in to fill a space, do I feel better about Dunn coming in that actually had a decent season at, um, when he's decent season, decent, decent time when he's coming and played, or James Hudson? I feel better about Dunn coming in, Batonio moving out, and Wills flipping over versus let's bring in James Hudson and see what happens. So I think you've got to have that conversation. And if, if he says yes, I think you've got to take advantage of that. Well, I mean, that's a pretty good breakdown of where the Browns are at. Um, obviously, this is one that'll play out. Uh, Paul, what, what do you want to add? Have we forgotten a player? Have we? Drew Forbes. Guard. Guard. Too early, Paul. Too early. Eager Beaver. I thought he was brought in as a tackle, no? Project X is a project guard. No, no, I, I, well, to be right. fair, he's never he's never seen him play. I mean, I know he played tackle in college, so I think the last time he played football, he was a tackle. I, I think Paul is right. If he goes right back to the when the Browns um, drafted him and they sent someone out, um, and I don't know who it was to answer the question, and said, "Hey, we're gonna," I think they said the same thing about um, Corbett. We'll try him at tackle, and then we'll probably you'll probably actually end up inside. Um, because, hey, well, why wouldn't you try these guys at tackle first? Um, but no, he, he's definitely tending towards a, a guard. But I, I, I think you've got to have that conversation. I just feel, if you ask me what the most likely scenario is, it's Wills at left tackle, Conklin at right, um, a free agent and Hubbard. Not Hubbard, Hudson. I feel that's where they're at. Um, I don't think the Batonio one's going to happen, but hey, if if Andrew Berry is committed to no stone unturned, hey, it's Andrew Berry. He's probably had this conversation <laughs> already. Um, what are you talking about, Jack? They're talking about twenty twenty six draft scenarios. Yeah, I love that. But people, but people would tell me that the Browns aren't considering their wide receiver room in six months, but they're considering how to get Arch Manning in twenty twenty six. So. Well, I think that covers, like I said, the uh, the tackle position pretty well. Uh, kind of letting you know where we're at. We're, it's one of the it's one of the position groups. They just have to improve. You got to you got to firm up those edges. You can't have T.J. Watt just absolutely just destroying your entire offensive game plan. You know, you got to get some able-bodied guys out there. It'd be nice if we had our guys. You know, Wills and Conklin. Obviously, we want to see that big step. If we can get a big step from Wills coming into this third year and Conklin comes back healthy, you're talking about a drastic drastic increase in performance. And I think that's ultimately what they need because as we know with any good, and listen, I know the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl, and, you know, at the end of the day, people want to, you know, crap on their offensive line a little bit, but at the end of the day, Jonah Williams had a solid year. I mean, it wasn't top five. Yes, but it also wasn't, you know, completely poop in the sandwich. I mean, Jonah Williams finished, I believe uh, 27th with a 76.5. You know, that's that's pretty good considering Jedrick Wills, you know, at several spots below him uh, didn't didn't quite have uh, have the same output. So at the end of the day, you got to upgrade the performance if you want to have. And I apologize. Jonah Williams was 22, not 27. Um, hey, 
we got to get better at the offensive line. There's no doubt about it. Riley refinished in. So they had two tackles. The Bengals had two tackles that graded out better than uh, Jedrick Wills. Riley Reef at 36, Jedrick Wills at 38, and um, Jonah Williams at 22. So that just tells you right there. The Rams, for those asking, in the uh, the Super Bowl, uh, Andrew Whitworth, uh, solid, solid year. He was the number four tackle at an 85.7, and Rob Havenstein was number six at 84.7. So that tells you right there. The Super Bowl teams do not have a tackle below Riley Reef at 36, and everyone else is in the top 22. It's amazing. So um, I think that is it for the tackle show. We'll be back on Thursday. Check us out for the guard and center show. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.